It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at CBOC.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at CBOC.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of IO. Also, today, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Work Cookie, our weekly gathering of IOs, HRs, recruiters, and one actor, as we try to make the world of work just a little bit better. And today, Dr. Destiny, you're going to lead us through a uh, rather interesting discussion on intrapreneurship uh, in IO and how to drive innovation within an organization. Um, Perhaps um, (laughs) we should start with a definition. What exactly is intrapreneurship? Good question. So in the context of biopsychology, really entrepreneurship refers to the practice of fostering that entrepreneurial and innovative set of behaviors within employees working within an organization. So, you know, bringing, uh, encouraging employees to think creatively, take those calculated risks, develop new ideas, processes or solution that can drive and change innovation within an organization. So they're individuals who act like entrepreneurs within a corporate environment seeking out opportunities for growth and improvement. So that is your definition, Tom. Well, and and we're talking about change and change is difficult. Um, you know, as you're describing that, I could just imagine a CEO's blood pressure going up um, because, oh my God, you want us to change? So it's been working for, you know, three generations in my business. And why should I change now? So it not necessarily has to do with change, but think of it through the lens of you want your employees to feel empowered to be able to bring those innovative and you know creativity into the workplace. That's why generally people you know are excited about starting work, right? They're excited to bring that energy in and those things that they you know know well and the value. That's why people you know there's very strategic ways that you hire people, right? There's very strategic roles for people on purpose, and so if you think of it through that lens, think of this as you know employee led innovation. Uh, process improvement initiatives, innovative technology, you know, adoption, creating those agile work cultures. There's so many things to think through this. I think we go to the like, oh, no, this means change. Yes and no. It really just means empowering and, you know, initiative type of thing. At least that's my definition and understanding of it. So other people might have different definitions here, too. Well, and this all sounds great and lovely, but, you know, in the real world, people get hired and then they have their dreams crushed. Uh, (laughs) They come in with all these great ideas, innovation. You know, I want to make this a better place to work. And then it takes six months to a year, but, you know, their soul is on life support. So I am assuming that IO psychologists can come in and prevent that. Of course. Well, and I think, well, first of all, whatever you said that, wow, like, I, I'm sorry, you know, <laughs> I feel like I need to apologize for you know maybe people feeling that way. But really, it's about people taking ownership of their own ideas, right? And taking ownership of their work. I feel like if you take ownership of your work, you do 
by chance, in some cases, find better ways to do things, or maybe, you know, maybe it's not so obvious, maybe it is obvious. And it's really about taking ownership. If you know how to do something a better way, then figuring out how to do it, and then maybe even pitching it to the hire. So I don't think, you know, it, it can be a large scale thing, like you mentioned, like people, you know, this all this stuff, or it can be something super small, but it's really about the ownership of it and like your ownership as an employee in an organization. So, but yes, IO psychologists can absolutely come in and just like that, help better define those things, maybe even recognize those things, maybe even coach people through how to feel comfortable to bring, you know, the ownership to the workplace. So there's so many ways that we can kind of come and engage within an organization as IO psychologists. So, so where does it start? You know, if, if I'm in working in an organization and I want to encourage this type of culture, you know, as an employee, where can I start to get people to even just listen? Yeah. So as an employee, that's an interesting, um, you know, question, because my first thought whenever you were asking that was what can an organization do? Right. So, and, and so I think it depends, right? So organizations, they can create, you know, like I used to work in an organization that was a flat organization. So by nature, it was just an interesting dynamic and a place to work. And one of the things that they had was a platform that we would actually go and talk about our ideas. Um, so that's like an extreme, you know, version of that. Uh, typically, most organizations aren't super open to that. Or maybe they are, but they're a little hesitant, or maybe they don't know how to implement these things. And so it was a nice place for that. But as an employee, it's really about, you know, I think one, it goes back to the ownership, but it also goes back to being, you know, in a situation, like comfortable enough to share um, with even your, you know, fellow employees, kind of just, um, you know, breaking into conversation, just feeling a little bit more empowered. And and I feel like a lot of that is very self-driven and in the first place, but I know there's so many professionals here that probably have a lot of, you know, opinions and and discussion points. So I would love to hear what others say about that question that you asked me, Tom. Yeah, especially if you've got experience and you've actually been in that situation. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, raise your hand and, and share with us. Um, and while people are going through their memory banks, uh, if I am a manager of, of a team, how is this going to help? Uh, bring the team closer together and be more efficient, more productive. Are you asking? Well, I think Dr. I Martha raised her hand. So I would love to hear <laughs> Dr. Martha's point of view. <laughs> All right, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. Well, first, I want to just say, Tom, if you need a little therapy later, call me. Um, <clears throat> but, we'll, I we'll <laughs> but I feel you. But I feel you. I think sometimes what happens is that employee and employer are not synced. They're not on the same wavelength in terms of who should contribute and, and how much, right? Stepping out of defined boundaries. So if an organization is very rigid with what they want from their employees and they don't encourage stepping out of those boxes or doing something extra, but the employee is all excited and and wanting to share and change the world that can be uh, disappointing because if if you as an employee do have ideas and and are passionate and want to help to move things forward and help the organization grow but the organization is non-responsive to your enthusiasm that can be disappointing but i think that there's always room for communication. That's not to say that there's a guaranteed change that's going to happen where everybody will be happy. But certainly, being able to speak up as an employee and open that discussion, just get it started to to then allow and welcome feedback from employees. And that's where, where the manager's responsibility comes in. Sometimes managers don't realize that when they invite input from their team members, not only are they encouraging flow of ideas and creativity that can benefit the team and the organization as a whole, but they're also allowing people to become more vested in the organization. And from an organization's point of view, that can be priceless. During times when turnover can be quite high and it's difficult to find the right candidates, hanging on to those people who have an interest in the organization and its 
um, its success can be very important. So this is why conversations such as what the one we're having today can be helpful because both employers and employees are going to hear this and understand how important it is to be able to have input from any part of the organization, whether that's management or non-management. Some ideas will be better than others, but again, allowing people to be vested in, in the organization and feel like they're a part of something and like their efforts and ideas matter makes a big, big difference. Does it mean that every idea you put in the suggestion box is going to come to a realization? No, but having a voice, being heard, having the opportunity to chew on ideas and talk with your colleagues and talk with your management makes a big difference in terms of your experience at the workplace, how you feel about your management, the organization as a whole, and then the commitment that you're willing to make and the ideas that you bring forth in the future. So it has to start with a conversation. It really does. Because sometimes you may have two entities that are a world apart, but if you start talking, there's nothing to say that you can't bring them closer together, even sometimes to where they're on the same point. And have a much better business. Uh, I love that. Um, Dr. Matthew, let's go to you. So I absolutely love everything that Dr. Martha just shared. That is so important to keep the employee experience front and center or part of that conversation for managers, for leaders and organizations. Another key piece for leaders and managers is to lead by example, showing that it's okay to say, I don't know, or is there a better way to do this? And often by including those various um, positions and employees at different levels into those conversations, sometimes you can find solutions. You know, organizations are always looking for ways to be more productive, more efficient, more effective, more profitable, whatever it may be. And sometimes the decision makers may be a little too far away from the actual experience of the employee, of the individual who is doing the work. And so by including them in that conversation, you can find opportunities and go, wait a minute, why are we doing it this way if this makes much more sense? And so that driving that innovation, it's it really comes back to that culture within that organization that really embraces learning and, and, and idea sharing and feedback. It, it's critical to include all of those pieces and to support that kind of, of mentality and mindset throughout the culture. Do you think that leadership in the C-suite is actually getting the message that, you know, if your employees are happy, <laughs> if they feel like they're contributing to something larger, that you actually have a more profitable business? Do you, do you think that message is being heard by the C-suite? I do. I, I like to be an optimist and I like to think that as more conversations like this continue to happen, as more research comes out, that continues to show the power of that employee engagement, that that power of that employee experience, more and more leaders are going to start realizing this is something that we may want to take a look at. This is something that we, we may want to bring in those IO people to help us identify what do we have, what are we trying to build, and how do we get there to include all of those pieces along the way. Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, thank you very much for that, Dr. Matthew. Nick, let's go to you. Are, are you an optimist as well? I, I try to be as much as I can. Uh, some days it's easier than others. Um, I think it's a it's a fantastic idea because you talk about the idea of entrepreneurship. You're getting buy-in, you're getting engagement, you're getting all of these things that as IOs we kind of take for granted of, of course, that's the obvious answer. But when you put it into play in an actual organization, um, it's, it's not as cut and dry. I recently started a position and was very gung-ho about we're going to do this and I'm going to bring, you know, analyze data here and here, but the realities of the day-to-day -day business came flooding in and okay, you have this primary role to fulfill first. Um, and then it's not just management and everything like that. You also have the the, the fr other frontline employees. I, my situation is I was on the staff and then I was promoted from within. And so there's that identity shift uh, for the people around me. And as I started asking questions about what do we know, what do we not know, how do we train um, and bringing what I know to, you know, the service industry and restaurant service, it it scared a lot of people. They were like, oh, no, everything's changing and I, I don't like it. I, things are fine the way they are. 
Um, so I think if you're going to foster a culture of entrepreneurship, one, leadership has to has to be on board. I think that's fair and obvious. Um, they set the groundwork. Is it safe to bring up ideas? Is it safe to fail? Um, is there a channel to bring it up to a broader conversation? Is change a scary thing? Is improvement what you're hoping to do? Or are we looking to just keep sales where they're at and, and keep chugging along with the way the machine is? Um, I think also from the individual standpoint, you have to mirror the entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs identify a problem. They can sell sell out completely. To oh, and I think we may have lost Nick. So, uh, Rich, let's go to you. Well, kind of kind of piggybacking off. Oh, um, and there's, there's no such thing. He's back. Hi, Nick. You're sorry, back. I cut out there, didn't I? Yeah, you did. <laughs> so you just oh, want to touch your yeah, so just you know, thinking as an entrepreneur within the organization, reading the room and taking the steps to make it happen. And one of your challenges may be the, the culture and things like that. And that's one thing you may have to overcome as you process through it. Thanks very much, Nick. Rich, let's go to you. Yeah, it was just kind of going off of that um, that uh, conversation that Nick was saying there. Uh, so uh, I'm reading a book right now on negotiation, uh, Never Split the Difference, if anybody's ever heard of that. And it's uh, it's a very good book about an FBI negotiator or from an FBI negotiator. And he talks about that people are and tend to be risk adverse, right? And so they would rather avoid risk than get the rewards, right? And and um, this, is, this is a common reason why people don't they they're not entrepreneurs right they want they they want the steady job they want the steady paycheck they want you know all of that and at the same time they're also afraid to speak up and to offer their ideas and to um uh you know be entrepreneurs because there will be some degree of risk that goes along with that so i found that um actually Nonprofits, um, if you've ever served on a nonprofit committee, right? Um, it's those tend to actually bring out some really good entrepreneurial efforts with where people feel like they're empowered. And, you know, yes, you still have to put together the business plan and you still have to um, you know, uh do your due diligence, right? But people tend to feel like there's there's um I don't know how to put this there, there, there. There's less risk. There may not be, but there's a little less risk there for them, you know. Um, so I think that you know leaders could probably figure out, hey, maybe if we put this committee. I, I want, for instance, I actually worked for a nonprofit. We did this where you know we would put together committees for specific initiatives after having some brainstorming sessions, um, where you know we had allocated hours and budget and all that. But you, nothing get, got enacted unless there was a plan. And so people have ideas and they have big ideas and they, and, you know, let's move this forward. But without a plan, you know, there's the whole adage of, you know, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? There, that whole, <laughs> that old adage, right? But if you, if you can have a plan to get from point A to point B, identify the risks. And, 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 you know, of course you need the buy-in from the leadership, right? But leadership is going to have, they're going to be less risk adverse if you come with a plan and even potentially, you know, some of the contingencies um, planned into that to move forward with whatever initiative and start small. I, I mean, that's, you know, it's one of those things. <laughs> I went all in guys uh, uh, years ago, left a good paying job and started a business and went all in and put the house on the line and all that stuff. And that didn't work out so well, but, <laughs> yeah, but you can start small internally and grow. Right. And that is not only less risky, but it also allows for experimentation and allows you to grow on the lessons learned, right? So in project management, we have, you know, lessons learned at the end of any project, you can grow and expand on that to get, you know, success in succession, right? From point A to point B and where you want to be. So I said a lot of stuff. and You did, but, <laughs> but I want to ask you a little bit more about risk because, you know, 
my experience is actually with, you know, with a post-secondary institution where they had risk management people and we would go to talk to them about a project, but it really sort of seemed to be that their idea of risk management was if it's risky, we're not doing it. So what is the climate out there right now for organizations to take some of these risks? Low. <laughs> it is. I mean, really, I mean, really right now, you know, we're, we, we're seeing that there is, there are risks that are out there. Um, people are identifying them. They're slow to make decisions and, and all of that. And um, so, you know, even entrepreneurship has, uh, um, slow down a little bit, but, uh, you know, the ideas keep coming. We, and, um, you know, there, there really anything that we do involves risk, you know, there's, yeah. there's not a, the, the, the idea that we have a stable job or we have, uh, you know, that we're going to be lifers in any organization or any of that stuff. Those things are, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, anybody out there, <laughs> My experience, my <laughs> empirical experience over 25 years, uh, I will say that that is empirically not a fact <laughs> uh, for many people. You know, so. But but if I want to take a risky move, and I you know I want to actually look at the issue and and see if it's a good step, is contacting an IO psychologist and bringing someone in to look at the bigger picture down to the fine details is that a good idea? I mean, can an IO help me with that? Why wouldn't they? they? They come in with the, literally. We are here as evidence-based organizational consultants, right? So, <laughs> so yes, you can come in with the um, an IO can come in and analyze what is going on and help to um, mitigate not not eliminate, but mitigate some of that risk. In my opinion. That's just you know, if, if I've got into sports betting, I might want to hire an IO psychologist. <laughs> to watch again. Maybe that would work. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. Hey, Tom and everyone else. I think that the idea of entrepreneurship within an organization is, is an ideal situation for a lot of reasons. And that is when you take someone's idea and, and have it the, entre the entrepreneurial approach, which is basically the an internal approach to being to functioning like an entrepreneur, right? The opportunity exists for so much to happen. One, not only do you get, you know, the idea of where the the mindset and the temperature is for the organization from people's input, and that can be very very helpful in in just understanding where your people are in the organization. But if you can skillfully help them explore all the aspects of running a business, basically what an entrepreneur has to do, and look at the the uh, financial implications and have them understand that and then understand the marketing implications. And what about the staffing implications and all, and all those and the operations, which is what an entrepreneur has to do. It really provides the opportunity for them to get a more complete understanding of how the business operates. And so their decision-making process changes. And so especially when we've hired people who have been previous entrepreneurs into an organization, the way they function in the business is very, very different. And so if you can be skilled about how you approach that with them and help them understand, go through that thought process, and maybe they'll come up with the idea, wow, this maybe doesn't work in this particular situation, but you didn't have to tell them that. Um, and they can share that information with the rest of the team. It's a whole different process to figuring out what will work versus just sitting in an ivory tower and saying, do this and don't do that. And once again, lots of communication, uh, you know, keep the channels open. Uh, thank you very much, Linda. And Lee, let's go to you. In the end, what this comes down to is ownership and or a sense of ownership. I mean, obviously, we're not talking about, you know, actually purchasing a, a portion of the business necessarily. but you know, but that sense of ownership and, and that and the I don't know sense of freedom, I guess, that you get with that. And you know, and, and oftentimes, if you talk to IOs who work within an organization, they approach it from an internal consultant perspective. So, you know, I want to look beyond the box and see what you know what the world will possible. And if the organization recognizes the value of an IO and they have one on staff and they're really making use of that, then they're going to be open to that. Um, Another way is just as from a leadership perspective and 
you know, empowering your people to, to take that approach. I mean, you know, I mean, I tell my team on a regular basis, I hired you for a reason. I don't need to do your job. And if I do need to do your job, I don't need you. So the point is that they, you know, they have the power to do their jobs. And, and I'm like, you know, and there's very few things they need my permission for, unless they're really going off the reservation and I may get in trouble and then they better talk to me. But beyond that, I'm going to cover for them and I'm going to give them room to fail safely and preferably fail quickly so they can move on. But I give them the opportunity to own their own initiatives. And so, you know, don't I, I don't need to tell you how to do that. I got my own job to do. You can bring to me your idea. You can bring to me your plan to execute those ideas and we can discuss it. And then you can go and you can make it happen and let me know what's going on. But, you know, because and of course, it depends on the the, the level of the person, of course. I mean, I, I work in, you know, in an information technology sector. You know, I'm not. My guys aren't piecemeal working on a production line. You know, it's kind of hard to do that in that kind of an environment. But, you know, when you're doing things with intellectual capital, technology, those sort of things, you have that room for innovation. You have that opportunity to build a better mousetrap. And, you know, within parameters, I mean, I work I work in a government space. So, I mean, there are parameters you have to fall within, but there is still room for some innovation. And, of course, you have to, you have to manage the, the risk and all those other things because, you know, a lot of high people are very risk averse. And so you have to consider that. And then when you bring it to them, also say, hey, look, and we've we've looked at the risk and we recognize this risk. And this is why we think either we can mitigate it or why it's worth it. And so, you know, if you can bring them that fuller picture, then that works. Plus, I, I've been empowered by my boss to where I can run my own business, basically. I, I do my thing as long as she doesn't get surprised then we don't have uncomfortable conversations and I get to run my, my group the way I want to run it. And then the people below me run their smaller groups the way they want to run them. As long as we are communicating, everybody's on the same page and nobody gets you know, really, really crazy ideas that I have to squash. But, uh, and by and large, it works. Well, let me ask you, because I'd, I'd love to know what it was like going to your team the first time and giving them this freedom and how did they react? Did they believe you? Uh, and also, what was the transition like for them? Because, you know, I, I remember working, you know, in post-secondary with young young actors and you think, you know, you want to get them working outside the box. No, no, they need a box <laughs> or they'll get nothing done. You, you know, you can expand the box as they grow. But what was that first step like? Yeah, you know, and it, it's interesting that you say that because I took over for someone who was a micromanager. I actually took my former boss's role when my former boss was asked to do something else. And so when I came in and I told him, I'm like, look, I don't need, I'm not doing your job for you. I don't need to know all the details. I just need to know the big stuff and whether or not I'm going to have a bad conversation with someone. And I would actually have them at first. I would have them ask me like little nitnoid things. And I'd be like, just make a decision. And, you know, and they kind of, you kind of, at first you kind of get those big eyes, you know, and it's like, no, it's okay. You know, you are empowered to make that decision. I don't need to make it for you. You know, or, I mean, this guy was so much, I mean, we couldn't even talk to other people without clearing it through him, you know, getting outside of our, our you know, our small part of the organization. And I'm like, well, you don't need my permission. Reach out to whoever you need to talk to. I mean, by God, you, I mean, I got other things to do than giving you permission to go to the bathroom. I mean, come on, people. And so it was a transition. But then people started to get excited, you know, that I can I can do this. I can make this decision. You know, he trusts me to do this. You know, and I'm like, I absolutely not only do I trust you to do this, I expect you to do this. And it because, changed the, the culture positively. Right. And then it, it's a process. And we're still working through some of the, the hiccups. You know, I've only been doing this for a couple of months that we've done this. But some people were just they were already tugging on that leash before I, I let, you know, unclicked it. And then they were off to the races and, and some other people are still kind of, you know, kind of that timid, you know, I'm peeking out the door, but I hadn't quite stepped out, you know, kind of thing, but at least they're at the door now. And, and, you know, instead of, you know, sitting on the other side of the room. So we're making progress. And some people have just, I mean, whew, I got some people that have just taken it up, you know, I mean, like SpaceX rocket man, boom, off into the space they go. And it's been kind of amazing. 
Others, others are going to sit in their comfort zone and they're never going to move. And as long as they produce, that's fine. But I got some people that are that probably won't work for me long because they're going to go on to greater things, which sucks for me. But that's awesome for them. It's a and, great problem to have. <laughs> yeah, it really is. All right. Thank you very much, Lee. Dr. Stephanie, welcome to the Work Cookie Stage. So let's go to you. Hi, thank you. I want to say, first of all, I'm hearing some really great things. Everybody's got some great ideas um, and great perspectives. I want to kind of take it back a little bit. So when people think of change, right, most of the time they're thinking of something taking from them. What is this going to cost me? What do I have to do? What time am I going to waste or spend? An IO psychologist can really help people see that value um, and create a value, uh, a values culture um, and help uh, leaders and organizations understand the importance or the value behind making those changes. Then the other concept that I wanted to point out is I'm hearing so much um, detail around psychological safety. So psychological safety is the freedom to take risks. It is the freedom to feel like there isn't going to be any repercussion. You can have your voice all of those things. I think that it's really important that we start putting terms um, with some of those changes because then that will help to feed the value and help to drive the learning culture. Nice. I like that a lot. Um, and everything you say is like correct and positive and we just need to get CEOs to listen. <laughs> yeah. So any advice like, you know, how do we how do we reach out to them and go, we're not trying to take anything from you. We're trying to actually make you better. That is the hard part. So it takes time and sometimes it takes baby steps and tiptoeing. Um, if we can help, obviously we have to have buy-in, right? If we can help those leaders even understand in the beginning that, hey, I'm only here to help you. I'm not here to take from you. Then they also create some, that, that creates some un, an understanding and a trust, a level of trust. So I think that that, the answer to that is just take baby steps and figure it out as you go. And welcome to CBOC, the training car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you very much, Dr. Stephanie. Brendan, welcome back. Let's go to you. So I think I hear a lot of good points about different things. And um, one of the one of the things that keeps coming back to me is playing the, the role of facilitator. So it's not necessarily that you're the one coming up with the solution. It's that you're helping other people to come up with the solution themselves. Um, so when when we're going through that, is that any ideas can come from anyone in the organization. It can't be just be your go-tos that come through. You have to open that channel up to anyone to be able to voice their opinion on certain things. Um, working for a consulting firm where I have to do sales from time to time, um, I actually get that uh, intrapreneurship, entrepreneurship um, in my role. And then within that is also how can I be innovative within the space of delivery of services as well as, you know, new client leads. Um, and just, you know, something that Lee said that I think is important is that that trust component and giving them that autonomy and self-ownership is going to allow them to go once they get that self-ownership and they feel that trust, they're not going to let you down. They're going to almost manage themselves and manage the expectations and set their own expectation for it. And then hopefully they're going to want to exceed that expectation at the same time. And yeah, yeah. sure, good. And then the other thing with that is that you can't, it's very easy for someone to come with an idea. And um when you were talking about how we get leadership buy-in or CEO buy-in, um, CEOs have a lot of ego. So when you bring an idea to them, it's very quick that they want to take it away and start running running with it. You have to let the person who came up with the idea run with it for a little bit. You can't just take it away from them immediately because they already have a, a path and a mindset. Um, and they've probably thought about this for a while. Um, at the same time, um, one thing I've really noticed is that, you know, especially doing the Work Cookie podcast is that you guys as IOs are creatives, like you do generate great and wonderful ideas. So let me ask you, Brendan, do, do you ever see yourself in that creative aspect? I'm, you know, I know you want ideas to come from everybody, but I'm imagining in the work that you do that you are constantly coming up with ideas. 
And that's why I think it's important when we talk about IO that we don't niche ourselves um, too drastically because we do have such great ideas. I've sat in on sales meetings and gave them suggestions and it was like, wow, that's a really good, good idea. I never really thought about that. Um, so being the, the idea of entrepreneurship is also forming those relationships within the organization so that when someone needs help or wants an idea that you can just be someone who can go to and talk things through and it can be you know you're you can be an advisor and say hey have you thought about doing this have you started at this where are you in the process um so a lot of using those io psychology principles to go all right wh where have you started where are you going and what is the end goal and um i think again that idea of facilitating but also being being available to run ideas off for people and help them be generate their ideas and be a sounding board is something that I think IOs are really good at as well. Yeah, they certainly are. Thank you very much for that, Brendan. Dr. Martha, let's go to you. A couple of points. Uh, Tom, you brought up an important idea of having that box or certain parameters to start with and then expanding that as you go. And that's important to remember. One, because we want a sense of general direction. We don't want chaos. But also some people need structure more than others in terms of their creativity and where they will go with their ideas. So there has to be a balance and and it's not going to look the same for everybody. It's not going to be the same within every organization and it will have to change over time and with different people. So that was an excellent idea you brought up. The other thing is I love what Linda Ann said. The the whole concept of having that educational aspect of this ability to be an uh, entrepreneur within an organization because that allows an individual to learn more about what it takes to run a business. Many, many people do not realize how they come to get paid and take for granted the fact that a paycheck is deposited in their bank account on a regular basis. But in reality, when you are a business owner, whether that's a business of one or a business of 10,000, there has to be certain things that happen time and time again so that monies can be paid for bills, for payroll, for everything, right? And that's a wonderful ability to learn about those things. Now, it's no different for the leadership in the sense that many leaders have absolutely no idea what goes on in the trenches. If they had to fill in for someone on the front lines, they would not be able to do that job, nor should they be able to. But there needs to be some kind of a, an understanding that it is those people in those proverbial trenches that are going to tell you some of the most valuable pieces of information in terms of how to do something better, faster, more efficiently, how to move your organization forward. So it there is such a value in learning for everybody with this approach of, of conducting business within organizations that an organization would be missing out if they didn't look into promoting this kind of culture and this kind of behavior. And if you as an organization or an, a leader don't know where to start, we're here for you. IOs, we're all over the place. We're everywhere. And we're good. You're, you're incredibly good. And, you know, if you're not using an IO, quite frankly, you're leaving money on the table. So get yourself an IO psychologist. Um, thank you much for, thank you very much, Dr. Martha. Nick, let's go to you and your special guest. Yes, I'm sorry. My sidekick is speaking up as well. Um, <laughs> Uh, going back to Linda Ann's point about kind of the educational tool, I think there are some people, myself included, who only learn by going through the process. You can tell all the cautionary tales, but until you step in it, until you miss a deadline, until you get that actual experience of having it go go wrong or go right, um, you know, you're not going to necessarily understand the whole picture. And I think by letting people run with their ideas you gain a greater relationship, but even have more empathy for leaders. Oh, you do this every day and it's a thankless job. I see that now, you know, I'll get in line and be on your side. 
Uh, to Brendan's point about ego, you know, you may be in an organization where you're two steps away from the initiator or the original entrepreneur. And so that could either be a person who sees that as a threat or somebody who sees that as something to be fostered and, and mentored and things like that. <clears throat> and then I had a third thought, but I lost it. So I will let somebody else take the floor. <laughs> well, let me quickly ask you, Nick, do organizations understand the benefits of mistakes? Do they understand the benefit of failure? I don't know because so often we deal with second order consequences. Too often people ride to the bottom line. And so when you talk about value, it's dollars and cents. And that absolutely has to be there. I think where we come through and our solutions, we're looking at those things that get beyond money. If you create a safe environment that you know allows for ideas to be expressed and experimented with, well, what are the benefits, you know, two, three, four uh, ways down the road? Uh, and that was the other point that I was thinking is there's a lot of intangible benefits that you get from the culture and from allowing these things that you can't put on a spreadsheet per se. But if happier employees are more productive employees, if you can find the construct to really drive that home for CEOs, I think they might be willing to spend money uh, in order to make money just by creating those spaces. Uh, somebody in the chat mentioned Simon Sinek's Infinite Game. You know, are you in it for the quarter? Are you in it for the year? Or are you in it for the long run? How long do you want to be in business? What are your goals? And that'll ultimately change how you view this particular issue. Excellent. Thank you very much, Nick. Amanda, hello. Welcome back to Work Cookie. Go ahead. Hello. Thank you. Um, I kind of wanted to touch on something that Brendan had mentioned a little while ago in that uh, entrepreneurship can come from anywhere. Entrepreneurship is innovation. It's not research and development. It's not a specific job hired for the company. And, you know, back to your kind of darker side of it, leaders in, uh, in organizations, they don't always expect these innovations to be coming from these people in their job functions. And so sometimes there is some pushback, uh, but I really just wanted to kind of hit on that. Entrepreneurship is on innovation and that innovation will give those employees ownership of those issues to really work harder to fix those sort of things. Yes, they certainly will. Thank you very much, Amanda. Linda Ann, let's go back to you. Yeah, I just want to, uh, Amanda mentioned, um, Innovation, and I think that that it's important to have a pretty broad understanding of what innovation is, right? It's not you don't have to come up with the latest and greatest technological and you know invention. It's just kind of basically facilitating some improvement or change. And so I think we need to make sure we have a, a pretty soft understanding of what innovation is for any given company. Uh, but I wanted to build on uh, a little bit of what Brendan said about this process really being a facilitation process when you're allowing people um, to discover the process for themselves on how to get this implemented within that organization. And it goes to really one of the skills that that leaders need to develop moving forward as we move forward in this kind of environment. And that's the leader as a coach, you know, having helping them explore where they're where those holes or pitfalls might be for themselves and they can go back and it's a process, right? So they can go back and go, damn, I didn't think of that. Let me figure that out and I'll be back to you. So what, you know, this isn't something that happens in a day or a week. You know, once they discover as, um, I think it was uh, Lee was saying, you know, there's, there's so much more ownership involved in, in the success of something once uh, they figured all those pieces out and then um, they know it's been thought through Fully, and so helping them even facilitate buy-in from others is is easier. So, um, and the other thing on on, on the skill set for leaders, if they're an insecure leader, this is going to be far more challenging. Yeah, it certainly will. But let me ask you, do because to me, what you're describing quite often with the the executives are people skills. Do do we need to go back into the C-suite and teach people skills? Oh, absolutely. And in part of the dis the discussions I have with with uh, Deborah Colazzo and so forth, when we work with um, our leadership seminars, it's there used to be the terminology of hard skills, which are the technical skills, and then soft skills, which were had a female female gender to them. And that needs to all go away. And they're all essential skills. We have a package of what essential skills are and every leader, regardless of where they come from, whether it's Mars or anything, those are the skills that we need to have to be effective leaders. Thank you very much for that. So, Dr. Destiny, we've 
we've blown through 45 minutes with a conversation that that has been incredibly interesting and just continues. But uh, what's going on in the chat? There's a lot of sharing of information and resources as usual, and those will also be shared in the podcast um, website. the the call out whenever we do post the call out for the the podcast Um, and just really just like pieces of advice and you know little tips and tricks for the trade uh, when we're talking about this I like Lee's uh, analogy you know Jeremy's not here he loves analogies but you know Lee mentioned he said think of an organization like a coloring book and a team or a job as an individual page people you can people can be expected to stay within the lines but you don't have to dictate what colors people use so I really like that. Um, you know, wow, Lee, are you also a poet? <laughs> I think we should you start having <laughs> Lee, you gotta start producing your quote of the day. <laughs> yeah, we should. And don't give him more stuff to do though, Tom. I mean, we might overwhelm him. Um, and organizations need Lee. We need to give Lee space to be able to, you know, freely be used um in the best way. But, you know, just mentioning more, too, about, you know, this is not just a C-suite challenge. This is a total organization thing. So, um, yes, lots of things going on in the chat. How, you know, it's we've gone through a really interesting time where, you know, there was the pre-pandemic world and the post-pandemic world. Has this sort of knowledge and information shifted at all in that time frame? You know, it was it was a huge reset. And even still today, we're looking at the world of work and how to do it better. Um, We seem to see some pushback on some things like remote or hybrid work. But are are organizations going to be open to this type of change from what we're just seeing and what's happened in the last few years where some change was accepted, but other change, there was quite a bit of pushback? Well, I think you kind of answered it, but didn't at the same time, right? I think the pandemic showcased the acceleration of things, of workplaces, of dynamics. Um, it accelerated the way that we, you know, um, decide to do things, how we do things, what needs to be done in order to get things done. So I think that, yeah, it definitely shifted it. Um, and, and organizations that aren't kind of keeping up with that are feeling it, right? They're feeling it. Uh, cause, and, and I also think that it made more people open to sharing the things that they're going through, sharing ideas, because we all collectively as a globe, when it comes to the workforce, had to get creative in the way that we do things, right? Even the government, which is like rigid, right? Structured, black and white, had to figure it out and had to keep up with the times. Otherwise, they were going to get left in the dust and the things that needed to happen weren't going to happen, um, so we all had to kind of figure it out together. So I do believe if you didn't learn anything in those in those moments in those years, you know, at this point, then maybe you need to look back and think about what can I learn or what can I, you know, implement. So there there definitely should have been some shift in the way that you do things or the way that you actually maybe even listen to your employees. Because you know, for example, I lo- I worked at the medical bureau at the State Department during the pandemic, and so we were absolutely critical to the. To the mission, right? We had to be there. We had to do the things, but we also had to realize that there was hum- humans involved. This is humanity we're talking about. People are scared to come to work. People are rightfully so. Nobody knew what was going on. We were the first that had the vaccines. It was like terrifying, right? So when it came to that, we had to start really listening. So that's what we did. We listened to our employees. We listened to our contractors. And we we tried to meet them as best as we could. For example, we came up with modified work schedules. Or we were able to give them access to a remote capability, although we weren't able to always use it. So there are ways that we shifted the way that we thought through things, even though we were very adamant about the mission getting done. And guess what happened? The mission got done and people figured it out. So that's what typically will happen. Once again, it might not always be a you know planned shift or a planned opportunity to take you know initiative and ownership but sometimes you're forced to do it. So if you're trying to figure out, well, has this happened? Do I need to like, you know, engage with my employees about this stuff? Maybe, maybe not. But at the end of the day, there might be a moment where you're almost forced to transition or change or think about an acceleration of something. So it's always good to kind of have these built into the way that you do business. It might be good to make a choice before you no longer have a choice to make. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Dr. Martha, let's go to you. Dr. Destiny brought up a good point that the pandemic accelerated everything. And 
everybody was forced to figure out something at some level because it was no longer feasible, no longer available to do things the same way. But as you had mentioned, Tom, once the pandemic passed, there are companies, there are C-suites, there are people who simply don't want to move forward. They want to go back to the old ways as much as possible. Sometimes bringing an IO in can be helpful in that rather than fighting with the powers that be that simply don't want to change, showing them how somebody else is succeeding by doing it in a new and more innovative way can be effective. Because at the end of the day, even when we're talking about nonprofits, it's all about money. Because if you can't pay your lights, if you can't pay your rent, you have nowhere to conduct your business, whether it's for-profit or nonprofit. So at the end of the day, you have to have some kind of money coming in. So even the most stubborn of C-suites has to be able to come to the realization that there are situations where you have to move forward. And sometimes when we talk about a big change, a change in systems, it's not so much about fighting the system and changing the system from within, because that can be very, very difficult and can take a long time. But instead, Creating a new system that is way, way better, that people will see that it's a better way of doing things, it's a better system, and they will come over to the new system, making the old system obsolete, and anybody who refuses to leave the old system will become obsolete with it. So sometimes it's less about banging your head against the wall and more about doing the things that make more sense and are more productive, and then showing those who get stuck in the old ways, that new system, that new way of doing things, that can oftentimes bring the people to the to the new way of doing things a lot better than having those, you know, fights of will or, or whatever it is, if it's not broken, don't mess with it, or whatever reasoning is being used, right? So just food for thought. And and great advice. Uh, Thank you very much, Dr. Martha. Lee, let's go to you. I just want to give just a quick object lesson that we can all look at as far as this whole, you know, innovate or, you know, adapt or go extinct thing. Um, Some of you guys may remember, uh, you know, a little company called Sears. And, you know, we used to get this big, huge, like three inch thick uh, catalog, right? And they were the kings for 100 years or so of mail order goodness. And I mean, my parents lived down the street from a house, an entire house ordered out of the Sears catalog. I mean, literally showed up all the boards, nails, everything. It is kind of amazing. But they had this huge infrastructure. They had all these warehouses, distribution centers, this whole thing. They had, they had it all. They were the thing. But mail order was kind of, you know, becoming passe. You know, it wasn't really a thing. So what did they do? They just shut it off. Well, guess what happened not long after that? Some of you guys may have heard of a, of a gentleman named Jeff Bezos, a little, little company called Amazon, you know, that look at the behemoth that has come. Sears had the infrastructure. All they had to do was put the catalog into the, you know, the archives and start the web thing. And they already would have been where Amazon largely is now but they didn't innovate. They didn't adapt. And now there's just an empty building, you know, an empty shell inside a mall somewhere. They should have hired an IO psychologist. (laughs) Thank you very much for that, Lee. Rich, let's go to you. Um, What Dr. G was saying, something resonated with me. So when, when I'm in a consulting arrangement or, you know, when I'm, when I'm coming into a new organization, um, oftentimes when I'm talking to the, um, to the executives, I get, well, this is what we do now. And this is what we used to do. And we want to go back. Right. So we have a really good opportunity to go and actually do some storytelling by looking at the analytics, uh, you know, and, and you can look at a whole bunch of different types. I mean, certainly 
most of my experience has been in um, in marketing, but marketing hits all these other parts of of the business processes, right? So if we can take what they were doing back then, now let me tell you, sometimes there are lessons learned that we can go and say, hey, if we can do this and, excuse me one second, um, we can do this and and modify it for today's processes, right? But oftentimes, you know, you're you're going to go back and say, "Wow, this is what this is what we were doing," you know. And then you got to you got to frame it uh, as, um, you know, the good old days may may not have that uh, you know that that halo effect that that they think it had, right? So yeah, there there could be some thorniness that they just you know. They, they just didn't remember. So do some storytelling and use the, use the data to help with that. Yeah. And I think you're right. We're, we're in a time of opportunity. There are some real opportunities to make some changes out there. Uh, we got about five minutes left. Dr. Matthew, let's go to you. So there's been a lot of really good uh, examples and conversations regarding how we as IOs get into uh, organizations to help them embrace this, understand this, and implement this, really to to kind of um, sum things up for me, how do we get into those C-suite areas or to those CEO leaders? We can start anywhere. As Dr. Stephanie said, taking baby steps. And who cares if we, if we as IOs don't get into the CEO right away? What about the leaders and the managers at different levels throughout that organization? As they start to embrace entrepreneurship, innovation, that okay to fail or okay to try culture, that's how we make progress. That's how develop we can develop people and cultures. The people within that organizations will start to notice that. They'll start to uh, see the benefits, the the um, the production, the efficiency, the effectiveness. Before you know it, those senior leaders and those C-suites are going to start asking questions. They're going to start saying, what's going on in that team, in that department, in that area. That's how we as IOs can get those C-suite attention. That's how we can drive that fostering of entrepreneurship. And that's how we can help organizations innovate. Uh, from your lips to God. <laughs> Thank you very much, Dr. Matthew. I think that's absolutely fantastic. Well, Dr. Destiny, we've only got a couple of minutes left. So maybe we should um, leave this topic as interesting as it is and talk a little bit about what's uh, coming up with CBOC. Yeah. So the we're at the end of, wow, we're already at the end of the month, aren't we? Wow. <laughs> it's hard to believe it's almost the fall, y'all. <laughs> I love the fall if you haven't noticed. Um, but the we're going to shift the conversation next month to um, basically the future of work. So all of the upcoming conversations are actually really interesting. Uh, embracing the gig economy, the rise of on-demand talent, virtual reality and training and development, redefining learning experiences, the role of IO psychologists in space exploration and extraterrestrial workforce. Hmm. Wow. So lots of interesting things that should be coming up. Um, so excited to hear that. And of course, as usual, we have um, the you know momentum sessions. We also have uh, the peer support group meetups. We had a Keep the Drive Alive event last night that I heard went really well uh, from the three-day experience. We got amazing feedback. Jeremy told me this morning, he's like, Destiny, we have 2024 like on par to be awesome because we had so much incredible feedback. So thank you all for doing that. And there, there are, I do believe, the first session, um, the first day uh, already up on the site. So if you're trying to, you know, hit like listen in hear the recordings please go to the site and and look that up we are working you know as fast as we can and as diligently as we can to get those up for you all so yeah lots going on we're really excited we've gotten not just feedback from the three-day event but i've talked one-on-one -on -one with about honestly about 45 people over the last two and a half <laughs> weeks um and many of them have you know I've met through CBOC events and it has just been such an honor to hear how people are, you know, coming together without us having to be there. But, you know, we have provided that platform for it to happen. So it just feels really good to know that there's all this goodness going on out there. Um, and I do believe, Lee, do you have an event tonight too? Yes. Yes. So lots of IO stuff. I mean, I remember a time when there was barely anything going on and now it's like, it just takeover. So I love it. 
<laughs> well, we're definitely spreading the word about IO psychology. So, you know, maybe it won't be the oldest profession in the world you never heard of for much longer. And with that, Dr. Destiny, our time is up. And if you want to count us up, we'll see everyone back in one week's time. Yes. Thank you. And three, two, one. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.